Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. Today is episode 71 of the podcast, and I get to sit down with my dear friend, Pastor Chris Freeman. Pastor Chris and I served at a, uh, a church together for a number of years, and then I got to watch God do something amazing as God called him away from that church to plant a brand new church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Since then, the church has taken off, and I've learned so much from watching Chris. I'm just so, so thankful for my relationship with him and the way he pastors the church and, uh, and pastors me. So uh, I think you're going to pull a lot out of this. We talk about leadership. We talk about Sabbath. We talk about what it means to be for the city. And uh, yeah, this is a fantastic conversation. And if you're ready to become part of the Reclamation community, uh, I want to invite you to text the word RECLAIM to 66866. Sign up for a weekly email. Stay connected to all the things that God is doing in and through this community. Also, hey, if you're not following me yet on Instagram, uh, this week is my birthday week. It's 40 years old. I know, hard to believe, 40 years old. And uh, we're doing something special. So follow me at TWMilt on Instagram. Uh, my birthday is Thursday, September 10th, and so uh, we're going to be doing a special giveaway. Uh, just to, you know, I, I'm feeling very blessed this birthday season, and so I want to say thank you. So be sure follow us on Instagram at twmilt. Uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a rating or review, and please share this message. Without any further ado, here's my dear friend Chris Freeman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to bring you a, a very special conversation with a dear friend of mine, Pastor Chris Freeman. Pastor Chris, how are you, sir? Hey, Tony. Uh, good, man. It's good to be on a podcast with you and just to catch up a little bit. Uh, it was cool to to be on Instagram with you last week with all three other people who happened to watch us for the 10 minutes we were on there. And that was the worst. We were on Instagram and I just thought like people would want to come listen to what we have to say. And like three people popped over, you know, I just, I'm thankful that God gives me uh, moments of humility like that. Yeah. Um, and to get roasted by our kids about it. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Connor in the background laughing the whole time. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Right. This is what, ministry in 2020 is all about. That's right, man. Yeah. No, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so look, how long I was trying to figure out how many years you and I have been friends. Hmm. Um, and I, I think it's almost nine years. Is that right? Yeah. I was going to say, um, it, you know, at, at least that probably, cause you, you came on to staff at Ginghamsburg about a year after I did. Is that right? Yeah, and then I've been at, uh, here at Restoration for the last um, six years, I think. It'll yeah. be six years in October. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah, I think probably about nine years then that we've we've uh, known each other and been hanging out. So, and and you you've been in ministry um, for even longer than that. How many years have you been serving in uh, full time ministry? Yeah, full time uh, started in the fall of two thousand and nine. So. Um, coming up on 11 years. So uh, 2009 to 2020, you're now the lead pastor of a church plant that you started in Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana. And we're going to, we're going to cover kind of how we got there. But um, did you ever think that you would be pastoring a church plant? Question number one. And mm -hmm. question number two, what made you get into ministry in the first place? 
Yeah. So the answer to your first question is for most of my life, no, I did not think that I would be pastoring a church plant. Um, and really <laughs> probably up until right before I planted the church, <laughs> I, I would be pastoring a church plant. So, uh, so that came to, uh, as a surprise to me as much as probably many other people. Um, and then the answer to your other question, what made me want to get into ministry in the first place? Um, you know, I think it's a series of things. Uh, my dad was actually a um, pastor off and on throughout my childhood. He always had a blue collar day job, but then he would pastor um, really for no money, pastor small churches uh, throughout um, my childhood. And so I saw that in him. Um, we were always very active in ministry, even when he wasn't um, pastoring a church. And then um, really the, the big shift for me was when I was in high school, about a senior in high school, um, kind of going through some of my own um, transformation and uh, God really working on my heart. And he just put some, some people in my life, uh, a youth pastor and a couple of youth interns who um, were just really pivotal. For me in that season that, that just they played a huge role in um, investing in it in influencing me in the right direction and so um, that seeing that in them is really what launched me into you know initially it started out just as a as a volunteer you know I was yeah. in college and serving in youth ministry because that's how my life was changed and then one thing led to another and and you went to Taylor uh, at Fort Wayne though right Taylor, you know, you can see it on the wall behind me here on the Zoom if you're, if you're watching the Zoom. But uh, anyway, I've got, yeah, I've got my, my diploma on the wall behind me from a college that does not exist anymore. I went to uh, Taylor I, University, Fort Wayne. <laughs> um, I mean, Taylor University still exists, though, right? Right. right. But the Fort Wayne so, campus is, is no longer in existence. What happens was, is, is you left and they were like, we're not going to get any better than Chris Freeman, so we're done. Yeah. I, I tell people it was my class that shut it down. I was the last graduating class of that college. And they, I think it was actually the opposite. They were like, this, we just can't handle it anymore. They, they're too terrible. We're out <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I, I think there's an interesting idea about um, having people pour into you. And you mentioned it just a minute ago in the beginning of your story with um, mentorship. And now you're serving a community and you're probably um, mentoring people or discipling people what does the importance of having someone to speak into your life, what did that do for you? And then now that you're in that role, how has it changed you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so for me, I think a few things, number one, it just, um, it gave me a model. Um, you know, you, you can't see yourself in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can't Amen. see, you know, Chris Freeman 10 years from now. Um, but what I can see is somebody who is 10 years down the road ahead of me and I can look at them and say, yeah, I want that. Like that's, that's the kind of leader I want to be. That's the kind of husband I want to be. That's the kind of father I want to be. That's the kind of friend I want to be. And so having those, those youth leaders in my life when I was in high school, um, you know, it took my focus, especially this is so important for, for students, for teenagers, for kids you know, they, you can get so caught up in that stage of life, um, being focused on your peers. You're so influenced by your peers. Right. And so, um, you're always looking to them for, for validation and for affirmation. And then when a mentor steps into your life, 
all of a sudden your focus can shift from all of your peers and trying to be just like them. And now you can look at somebody else and say, oh, wait a second, there's a different way. And I can actually become more like them. And so that was, that's really what it did is it just gave me a picture of who I could become and what God could, could do in me. You know, if he could do it in them, he can do it in me. And um, now on the other side of that, um, man, I, we could, we could probably spend three hours talking about the impact that, you know, pouring into other people has had on me, but uh, I could summarize it very simply, um, you know, in, in the words of, of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive for sure. Um, that when, when I'm pouring into somebody else, when I'm investing in someone else, um, just the, the personal benefit that I get from that is, is um, so much more than whatever I can give to them. And, um, and it also just keeps me honest, right? Like right. If, <laughs> right. <laughs> if I'm going to be mentoring someone else and trying to be a model for them, then I've got to be a man of my word and um, yeah, just really live it out. You got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. No, one of the things I've known and appreciated about you is that you're a ferocious learner. And mm -hmm. so um, you're constantly um, still seeking people out. I think that there are probably a lot of people listening who are looking to go deeper in their faith and they're probably looking for someone to pour into them. Mm -hmm. How do you now as a, as a, as a young pastor, as an adult who's got a couple of kids and a, a wonderful home to take care of, how do you manage finding mentors today that can still speak truth and help you see the, uh, the self, your future self that you can't see now? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say um, in some ways it can be harder the older you get and um, especially as you grow in your own leadership, right? Um, because you're, you're going to, by default, have a more um, narrow field of people to, to look to. Uh, but I also think because of the day and age we live in, um, there are more opportunities now for that than any other time period in history. Mm. Uh, I know part of this podcast, right, is like, how do you do this while managing and navigating the busyness of life? And so um, I, I like to kind of like this, just just an honest confession here. Sure. I kind of I kind of pride myself on like my efficiency with time. <laughs> Come like on. I'm like, I'm like all about it. Like I am not interested in wasting time. And so I try to make sure that I'm like making the most of all of my time, including even sometimes my downtime. So for example, every time I'm in the shower, I am listening to a podcast. There has like, it'll drive my wife nuts, but like there has never been like, she'll still be sleeping in bed and I'm, I'm in the shower and there's a podcast going. I thought you were actually saying that your wife was in the shower with you listening to the podcast. No, 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 no that's not what I'm saying. There's Let's nothing wrong with that. that. I'm, there's nothing wrong with that if there was. If, no, let me just say, if that's, if, if we're both in there together, there's no podcast. All right. That's, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> but when I'm in the shower, I'm, I'm listening to a podcast. Anytime I drive, I've just learned, um, rather than let the world tell me what to listen to or who to listen to, mm. I have the permission to control that. So I'm not saying like it's wrong to listen to the radio. Like if you want to listen to the radio, listen to the radio. If you want to listen to some music, listen to some music. But, but for me, even that, like it's, I, I can't remember the last time I just turned on the radio in my car. Um, 
if I want to listen to music, I've got Spotify playlists that have very specific music that I want to listen to. But the same thing with podcasts um, is, you know, I, I'm always listening to podcasts specifically of leaders and people that I want to learn from and grow from. The, the downside to that is it's a one-way relationship. Yeah. So um, there are limits to that, right? And therefore, we definitely still need people that we can sit, you know, face to face with six feet apart, you know, if you need to, <laughs> uh, because of social distancing or whatever. But, um, but yeah, there, there are definitely people that we need to be able to sit, you know, with and be able to have honest conversations and let them ask us questions. And um, because mentoring is, is both pouring into somebody else. And that's what like, you know, leadership podcasts and that sort of stuff. That's what those leaders are doing. You know, I'm, I'm just gleaning content from them, gleaning information from them. But then it's also being a good mentor is asking the right questions and letting people um, honestly and tr- be, be honest and transparent as they process those answers. That's great. Do you, um, going back to the efficiency piece, uh, and I'm asking purely because I struggle with it. Um, I, I was actually mowing the grass the other day. I was listening to a podcast and this conversation came up about Sabbath, mm-hmm. right? And because I'm an efficiency junkie as well, and I love, I, my work is my passion. My passion is my work. Right. How, how do you Sabbath? Um, how do you Sabbath well, or do you Sabbath well? I, I don't, guess I shouldn't assume that you get, you've got it figured out. Um, do you have any rhythms for, for taking intentional time with God that, that don't require efficiency? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, let me say, I, I don't think I do it well, um, but it is an area that I'm continuing to grow in. Mm. Um, I can't remember who I first heard this from, but uh, the statement goes something like this. If you, if you work with your mind, you need to rest with your hands. And if you work with your hands, you need to rest with your mind. Ooh, say that one more time. Cause that's really good. Yeah. So, so it's, if you work with your mind, you need to rest with your hands. And if you work with your hands, you need to rest with your mind. So for me, most of the work that I do is mental, right? Right. It's it's mental, it's relational. It's, it's not physical. I'm sitting at a desk or sitting in a coffee shop or sitting somewhere having conversations. Pastors do a lot of sitting. Right. And so um, studying all that sort of stuff so that the mind is always going. And what I have found is that for me to actually get real Sabbath, um, I have to be doing something physical in order to take a break mentally. Hmm. So, um, so there are times like, for example, if I'm, if I'm out working in the yard, which I, I enjoy, you know, I like mowing my grass. I like doing that sort of stuff, but those are maybe the few times where I will specifically like, not try to double dip and get the podcast in or whatever else, because I, I realize like, man, I'm on content overload. I just need some space to process everything. And also I just need to be able to turn it off. Right. Yeah. Like I need to, be able to turn the mind off. And, um, but the other, this is going to sound cr- kind of crazy and maybe, maybe this is just what I'm telling myself. It may not actually be true, but it, it makes me feel good. Um, when it comes to rest, the other way that I can turn my mind off is through exercise. So like, no, I I think that's accurate. I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm pretty regimented with that too. So I, I work out um, six days a week 
and uh, usually at five thirty in the morning. And it's I actually are you do still doing five thirty in the morning during quarantine? Yeah, yeah. You're a brave uh, man. I I I I have given myself a couple of breaks here and there, so um, I, I'm not getting up every day at five in the morning. But uh, but for the most part, I am. I've just found that uh, for me, that rhythm, that routine, that schedule is so um, important just for my my overall mental health and um so yeah but but like when i work out i do a high high intensity workout most days and so like i don't like i'm i'm pushing my body so hard that i don't have the capacity to think through and process a conversation i had with somebody (laughs) or you know whatever it may be so um yeah that's that's a little bit of how i approach that concept of rest now, when you and I were uh, on staff together at Ginghamsburg, one of the things that I loved and appreciated about you is how intentional you were with your morning devotionals, right? Your morning quiet time with God. Um, take me through the efficiency of the Chris Freeman morning, all right? Like, I mean, like, you can leave out the personal hygiene and, and bathroom details, but hit everything else. Give me the, if somebody says, hey, I'm looking to start up a morning routine, where would you tell them to start? Uh, the first thing I would say is you need to get up earlier than you're getting up. (laughs) Amen. Yep. You're going to have to get up earlier than you're getting up and you're going to say, well, I'm always too tired. And so it's too hard to get up earlier than I already do. And the answer to that is you still have to get up earlier and then you do that enough and you will force yourself then to go to bed earlier. That's the only way to develop that morning routine. It can't be that you just adjust to getting less sleep. But um, so I guess maybe I'll say my morning routine starts with going to bed at a reasonable hour. Okay, I love that. What's a reasonable hour? So um, I am usually asleep. I can't remember the last time that I was awake after 10 o'clock, after 10 p.m. Okay. Wow, I so, thought for sure you were gonna say 11. No, no. Um, maybe, maybe I've been awake after 10 on occasion here and there. I can't remember the last time I was awake two nights in a row after 10 p.m. So um, part of this is stage of life too though. Everybody's gonna have their own routine. Sure. I, have, I have to get up this early because I've got young kids. They go to bed early, they get up early. Our, our life right now just, that's, that's how it works. So when my, my kids are teenagers and they're staying up till midnight and I'm staying up to make sure they get home. Okay. I'm not going to be getting up at five in the morning at that point. Like, so, you know, it's, it's going to be different for everyone, but for us, um, you know, I try to be in bed by nine 30. Um, and I'm, I, I have the, the gift, the spiritual gift of sleep. I can lay down and within like less than 60 seconds, I am on that. Yeah. So your alarm goes off at five? Yeah, five, five uh, most days, sometimes a little earlier than that. Um, every now and then I'll set it for 445. And actually because of the, just the, the regiment and the routine, most days I wake up at 430 on my own. Yeah. So before, before the alarm. Um, and then um, I am pretty quick to, you know, get up, get out of bed, go to the bathroom, you know, brush my teeth, get myself ready to hit the gym. And then my gym is actually, wait, do you brush your teeth before the gym or after the gym? Before. 
you're a better human than I am. I hate yeah. to admit it. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody at the gym, so it's fine. Right, right. Um, so here's another confession that's probably uh, crossing the lines on the podcast here. But No, I love it. I'll let you in on it. This, this is just something I have found. I don't know if this is going to work for anybody else. But I do not like working out without having a bowel movement first in the morning. Yeah, sure. And I have found that brushing my teeth triggers that bowel movement. Oh, isn't that weird? Do you think you're, you trained your body for that? Or do you think it, I don't know. It's has it been like that your whole life? No, just in like the last couple of years. Like since it's actually true for me with a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But I don't do coffee until after. Right. Yeah. After my workout. Cause I don't want that. Yeah. So yeah, so anyway, I try to get up and get out of the house pretty quick. My gym is five minutes from uh, my house, not even. It's two and a half blocks from my house. And then the other thing is um, the gym that I work out of, it's part of the, the whole campus where our church sits. And so because we, we lease space here, I have access to this gym. And only key card holders can get in. Hmm. but I've been given permission to bring friends along with me and it's uh, we just do a body weight workout, but I've got a group of like 15 to 20 guys oh, wow. with me and I'm the key card holder. So if I don't show up, I've got 15 to 20 guys who are very ticked off at me. Yeah. Cause they got up super early and they right. have you ever not shown up? No. Um, I think there've been one or two times where I've been sick or something. So I, I will call somebody and give them the key card, but it's like the ultimate form of accountability. Like yeah. I, can't, I can't skip the gym because I hold the key card. So there's a spiritual metaphor there that I could get preachy on, but uh, I don't need to do that right now. Mm, that's good. So yeah. after the gym. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, hit the gym. I'm in, the, in by 5.30. I write the workout. We actually only work out for a half an hour. So it's okay. uh, 5.45. The workout starts. We give guys 15 minutes to roll in, stretch while I'm writing the workout. We work out for half an hour. Then at um, uh, 6.15, we're done. We circle up. We have a word for the day. Anybody can share, um, but it's always spiritually minded. Um, maybe a scripture verse. It may be something somebody's learning that God's teaching them. Any of the guys can share. Then we have prayer requests. And we're out by 6.30. So it's very strict. 5.30 to 6.30 is the whole window. Then I head home. Uh, first thing I do is hop in the shower turn the podcast on or uh, whatever it is I'm listening to, maybe a, a, a book, you know, a um, audio book, something along those lines. Um, or if nothing else, uh, I'm listening to some worship music. And then uh, I'm out of the shower dressed and ready to go by seven o'clock. And this is during the school year. My wife's a teacher. She leaves the house at seven and I wake the kids up at seven. And then we hit the morning routine with them, getting mm. them up, dressed, ready, fed all their school stuff ready to go um and then we leave the house at 7:50 so i have 50 minutes to make that happen and which that's um, no small task you know every mom is like i could do it in half that amount of time but every dad that i tell that to they're like that's amazing so <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um for me it it is quite the ordeal to get them out of the house 750 pick up the neighbor kid head off to school drop my daughter off at school 
and the neighbor kid off at school. And then I dropped Bennett off at his babysitter and then uh, head into the office. And so I try to get into the office between 8.20 and 8.30. And then that is when I actually have quiet time. And so I'm usually, I'm usually in, nobody else will roll in except for our, our executive pastor uh, comes in uh, around that time sometimes too. But usually I can have half an hour totally to myself, door closed from 8.30 to 9 o'clock just to open up the word, spend some time reading, praying, and just connecting with God. And then um, 9 o'clock, I actually start the, uh, the work day. So that's my morning routine. I, I appreciate that. And I, I love the way that you make it work for you so that right. it, it fits. And I think that that's probably an important reminder is that you may not be able to balance, uh, you know, Chris's schedule, but you can certainly see the important parts. There's people, there's uh, physical, mental, you know, emotional energy and all of that. And then there's, you know, it kind of culminates with that spiritual stuff before you get your day started. Right. Um, y- you you're a, a pastor of a, a growing church. How, how t- kind of give us the, the church planning story. Cause you weren't supposed to be in Fort Wayne. Right. Well, I mean, God, God said you were. So, th- I mean, there's that, but like, I didn't, I didn't think so though. When you and I originally talked about this, you were going to play it somewhere completely different. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, going back, I guess, uh, a little over four years ago now, um, I was really wrestling with um, kind of what was next for me. Um, I could sense that my my time at uh, Ginglesburg was coming to a close, that God was just kind of leading me and our family in a different direction and trying to pray through that and figure that out. And um, we were exploring lots of different things. Like I said earlier, I, at that point, church planting still really wasn't on my radar. Right. Um, so I was, I was actually, I had interviewed with a church out in Colorado Springs, um, to, to become a student ministry director out there. Um, I'd interviewed with some other local churches to, um, look into some other ministry positions, ended up being offered two different jobs that, um, both seemed awesome on paper, but just my heart wasn't in it and didn't want to step into something without knowing for sure that, that this is what God was calling us to. And. So I began having a conversation with um, uh, a family friend who was the president of a small um, denomination of churches uh, in in Indiana. Well, it's all over, but it's headquartered in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, called the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. And I, I grew up in Fort Wayne, so I still had connections with this this guy. His name's Rocky, and we um, he he was kind of like a a father figure to me in a lot of ways growing up, his son and I spent a lot of time together, played football together through school. And um, he was an executive pastor when I was a kid. And so in my adult years, he had moved into this role of the president of this network of churches. And he was the first one to really say, you should seriously think about planting church. Mm. I was like, no, I don't think so. You know, (laughs) that's for me. And he was like, you know, I just really think you are wired for it. Like, you know, church planters, there's kind of a specific skill set that we're looking for. And I think that you bring a lot of that to the table. And so I would just encourage you to pray about it. And so the more I started looking into it, the more I started praying about it, talking to other people about it. I'm sure you were one of those people at that point that I started having these conversations with. And um, it, it just started adding up. And so 
we, we really felt like God was saying, yes, plant a church. And so we said we would. And at that point, I turned in my resignation, started moving forward toward fundraising. And um, we were going to plant in Huber Heights. So just, you know, 15, 20 minutes from where we were living and working at the time. Uh, if you recall in that season, Huber Heights was really growing. I, I haven't paid much attention to Huber Heights in the last couple of years. I don't know if they still are. Yeah, oh yeah, they're growing. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of cool things happen there. And as a matter of fact, there is a, a city church in Huber Heights. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, every time, because what, what you don't know, listeners, is that the name of Chris's church is called City Church. Right. And so um, it, it, the, it's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. The connection is crazy, but keep going. So, yeah, so we, we were going to, we were going to plant in Huber and um, you know, Madison was a full-time teacher and not that there's a ton of money in that, but it was some money. It was stable. We had health, health insurance. Right. <laughs> right. And we had a kid, you know, and so it was like, well, we'll, we'll use her income as our base income and then I'll raise whatever I can and I'll work part-time if I need to and, and we'll plant this church. And so we started heading down that road and um, the, the further we got, we actually started seeing a lot of momentum, people wanting to be a part of this with us. Um, but the, the further we got into it, the more we realized um, that not only was God calling us to plant, but he was calling us to move away to do yeah. so. So you went to uh, Exponential. Right. Which is a, a church planners conference or was it ARC, the ARC conference? I, I went to both. I went to ARC and Exponential. And you had a kind of a come to Jesus moment. Right. Uh, do you feel comfortable sharing that? Sure. Yeah, I can, I can share. Um, before I go into it, though, let me just say this as a preface to this story. Um, there is no such thing as, as a perfect church. So, so um, I have uh, no ill will toward any church that I've ever been a part of. And um, I'm really thankful for all of my ministry experiences in life. Um, well, I know that you and I would both say that without uh, those church experiences, we wouldn't be where we are today. Right. Very Absolutely. formative and, and so many incredible people, friendships like this one that are just uh, a fruit of what God was doing in those churches. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, so anyway, we were, I was down at, this was at, um, at ARC, at the ARC, ARC church planter training. And it was two days of like very intense, everything you could ever want to know about church planting. And I would still say to this day that those two days were the most valuable two days I've ever had in any training anywhere. Which so is a statement because you go to a lot of training. Right. But yeah, so if, if there is any church planter or potential planter listening to this, like I didn't plant an ARC church. So you don't have to plant an ARC church to go learn from ARC, but they know their stuff. And like, man, they were, it was so good. So much, so helpful. So anyway, I'm there two days, nuts and bolts of training. And at the end of it, um, this guy comes out and I'm not joking. His name is Michael W. Smith. <laughs> Not, not the singer, not Christian singer. He is the director of something for ARC. And clearly he gets the humor because he tells everybody his middle initial. So he's Michael. Right. Right. I'll just forget that about him. He comes out and he says, hey, uh, for the last two days, you've learned everything you, you could possibly learn about church planting. And he said, now I want to take a little bit of time and speak to the heart of the church planter. And he said, 
90% of the time when we train church planters and we get to know their stories, we discover that they are planting a new church out of some pain from their last church. And he said, that's just the reality of ministry is that uh, there's going to be pain. And sometimes that pain will cause you to leave. And that's not always a bad thing. But he said, if I had to uh, assume, you know, if I had a guess, I would say nine out of 10 of you in this room, you know, there are about a hundred of us there. Uh, you're, you're probably stepping out of some pain and there's probably some hurt. And um, so I just want to speak to that. And then he went on to just preach out of uh, uh, the relationship of David and Saul. Mm. And it was just such a powerful, powerful message because I was coming out of a place of some pain. And um, that wasn't uh, my primary motivation for planting a new church, but it, it was still there. The pain was still there and there was still some hurt there. And then he, he talked about how David had an opportunity at one point um, to kill Saul. If you remember. Yeah, in Saul, the cave. And he was going to, yeah, David was going to kill him. And instead he chose not to. And then he revealed that to Saul. And he said, you know, who am I to kill the Lord's anointed one? Um, and then at the end of it, he said, um, he said, look, as you're planting this new church, I just want to challenge you. You all need to be David and you need to honor Saul. And he said, um, I don't know who Saul is in your life. It may be your previous church. It may be some other person, but either way. I want to challenge you to honor Saul. And he even talked about how at that point, Saul had already lost his anointing. Like the anointing of God was no longer on him, but David still chose to honor him in that. And he challenged us to do the same thing. And so he said, then he, he took it to say, um, you know, a lot of planters will, when they plant, they will want to plant in the same general vicinity of where they just got done doing ministry because it's their home, right? Like, yeah, and it's, it's easy to make connections, right? And all so, the things. Like, we, we invested seven years of our life there. Like that was home for us. My wife had a great job there. Like there were a lot of, a lot of good reasons on paper for us to plant there. And we, we really did have a heart for that, that high area. Like we really felt like God was drawing us to that area, at least initially. But then he said, I just want to encourage you. Like when you plant this church, do it in a way that Saul could never come back and say, you, you killed me or, or that nobody mm -hmm. could come back and say that, that, yeah, you planted a David, but you had to kill Saul to do it. And he said, if, if Saul is going to fall, he's going to fall on his own, but don't you be the one to decide Saul's future. And, um, I don't mean to say that, like, you know, I'm not trying to say that, that the church I came out of was Saul. It, it was great church, right. but there was just some pain there. And, and also, um, you know, it was a place that had invested in me and poured into me for years. And so I just felt a firm conviction out, out of that, that it, what was interesting is it actually, it affirmed even more my call to church planting, but it also confirmed that we couldn't plant in Huber or in the Dayton area and that we were going to have to move to plant, that we were going to have to start fresh and go somewhere where, um, where there wasn't that pain anymore. And so I even, even the perception of pain, right? Because, um, because one of the things that happens in ministry and, and, it, and anyone's job, right? If you're in sales and right. you've been selling to someone and 
you've got a base of clients and then you decide you're going to start your own sales company selling, you know, widgets or whatever, then, and you, you bring some of your, the, uh, customers, old customers with you. That's not, that's not a new thing. That's not a, that's a, that's a derivative of what was right. And so uh, I'll never forget you coming back from that conference and telling me that story. I felt like I was, I was fairly moved by your conviction at that point, because you had already had so much momentum, right? And right. so you had to uh, slam on the brakes and do a, a hard left turn. I mean, you were drifting like fat, Fast and the Furious here, right? That's right, like, no, no drift, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, did, what does hearing from God in that moment uh, feel and sound like? And, and how did you know it was God and not just your Chipotle? Right. So going into that weekend, I had already started to have some of these convictions, right? Like I had already started to wrestle with like. And a conviction is just kind of a disgruntled feeling and and not at peace, right? Right. Like, man, like I really. So at the end of the day, you plant a church to reach lost people. That's that's the number one reason why you plant a new church, Um, not to move people from one church to another church not to create a new style of church, but to reach lost people. Now I will say unapologetically, you need found people to reach lost people. Yeah. You need people who love Jesus and know Jesus to be a part of that with you. But yeah, we, we had already had momentum. We had people who were committed to our core team at that point. Um, we had people who were giving faithfully giving to this and, um, even coming into that weekend though, I just had just this feeling of, of, you know, unsettledness, not a peace in my spirit about it, that I I could see that um, not that it was our desire for this thing to, to go in a direction that we obviously didn't want it to, but I could see it moving in that direction Um, that it could just end up kind of splitting a church or pulling a bunch of people from one church and then not really reaching lost people. And, and so Going into that, I felt that, and um, I had a conversation. Actually, there was uh, one of our one of our core team members went with me. He paid for himself to go, flew down, went with me. We had that conversation on the plane ride there, and then like the whole two days, it was just nothing but pure awesomeness. <laughs> and then we get to the end of the second day, and that guy comes out and he gives that message, and this guy looks over at me. And we both know, like we both know. And he looks at me, and he, <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do it. You can't plant in, in, in the Dayton area. Can't you? Like, and I'm like, no, I, and he's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I just know we're not going to plant in the Dayton area. And so I had to go home and have that conversation with my wife, you know, oh, so she's, which I'm sure that went really well. Right. She's like, what, like, what are we doing? Like, like, you know, I, I'm just trying to teach kids and raise our family while you're out here trying to figure out God's will for our life. Like, like what is happening? And so um, actually what I said when I came home is I I told her, um, I firmly believe more so now than ever that God is calling us to plant a church. But I also feel completely convicted that we cannot do it here. And so if that means we have to wait, I will wait. I'll go find another job. If that means that we have to get creative, I'll get creative. I don't care what it, what it costs, but this is just what's on my heart. And her response actually was really incredible. She just said, um, 
She said, I trust you. And so if this is what God is saying, then I'm with you. And if we got to go, we'll go. Um, and so then it was like, we didn't know where we didn't know. I, I had no idea I was going to end up in Fort Wayne. Um, it wasn't on our radar at all. And it was just yeah, crazy. No, I do remember the conversation. Well, the nice part about being a church planner is you can plant anywhere you want. Like you could go somewhere warm. You could go somewhere sunny. You could go somewhere with mountains. You know, you're an outdoorsy guy. Like you could go somewhere fun and you ended up in Fort Wayne. Why Fort Wayne? <laughs> right. Yes. I thought for sure we would end up in like Colorado or anywhere where the sun shines more than more. it does. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, so at this point, we were actually already, because, so the, the network that we're planting with, the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, is headquartered in Fort Wayne. This is a small network of churches. I mean, we're talking like 60 churches. Yeah. And so, worldwide, right? And so, uh, most of them are in the Midwest. Um, I love but, it. Uh, but they have, you know, about five or six churches in the Fort Wayne area. Fort Wayne's similar to Dayton yeah. in, you know, size and community, that sort of stuff. So um, we had already developed a relationship with a church here called Pine Hills. And Pine Hills is a church planting church. It was in their DNA. At this point, they had, uh, two years previous, they had planted a church out in Denver, Colorado. Um, just the year previous, they planted a, a church in a town called Kendallville, which is just about 20 minutes north of Fort Wayne. Um, and they were working with us and I had already agreed to help us plant in the Dayton area. Mm. So they were going to help us financially. They were going to help us structurally. They were going to help us with potentially sending people like just, you know, it was, it was just a really cool relationship that we had developed with them. And so I came back to Pine Hills and, and I had a coach named Jay who was full-time at Pine Hills to be their church planting director. And let me say this about them, because I think when people hear like you've got a full time church planter, you're planting, you know, multiple churches back to back years. This must be this like massive mega church, you know, millions and millions of dollars in budget. At that time, Pine Hills was averaging between 11 and 1200 people on a weekend. Right. Um, their budget was probably a little more than a million dollars a year. They just prioritized church planting. Yeah, it's it was, their DNA, it was, right? Yeah. yeah. And so um, now they've continued to grow. And that's the other awesome thing about them is they, they just keep planting churches. And yet now they're probably 1,800 people, wow. probably more than $2 million a year in budget now. I mean, they're just, they're continuing to grow. But, um, but anyway, so I came back to them and, and shared with my coach, Jay, as well as the lead pastor there, Mike Drury, um, what was on my heart. And I said, you know, we're going to plant, but we can't plant in Dayton. And they said, okay, where are you going to plant? I said, I don't know. And they said, why not Fort Wayne? And I said, I've already, already lived in Fort Wayne. I grew up in Fort Wayne, been there, done that. And, and we don't have any family in Fort Wayne. My parents moved away from Fort Wayne when I was in college. Uh, Madison's not from here. So we didn't, we didn't have any reason to come back here for family or anything like that. And um, they said, why don't you just think about it? They said, look, if you, if you plant wherever you go, we'll help you. But if you, if you consider Fort Wayne, like we can help you plant here in a way that we can't anywhere else. And so um, Fort Wayne, you know, it's a, it's a good sized city. Um, you know, the greater Fort Wayne area is probably less than a half million people, somewhere around 400,000 people, but lots of lost people here. 
and they were like, look, we, we still need more churches in this city to reach those people. And so we, we just began praying about it, really pressing in and, and felt like um, it was, it was really that, that relationship with Pine Hills and, mm-hmm. and wanting, I guess this, there's kind of a consistent theme here, right. Of mentoring and discipleship, right? Like yeah. wanting somebody as a model and somebody that we say like, yeah, that's the kind of church I want to be. You know, I want to be the kind of church that plants churches and that, that sends people out and says, we're going to support you no matter what. And um, just wanting to be sent from a place rather than doing it on our own. And so that's really what, what led us back to Fort Wayne. And so you've been in Fort Wayne now for uh, five years, right? Is that your... We moved back uh, four years ago this this summer. So next month, it'll be four years. Okay. Um, it was it was June of 2016 that we moved to Fort Wayne. And uh, you started with basically the the people that Pine Hill sent, which is about 50, if I recall. Yep. And and now, how many people are worshiping at City Church in Fort Wayne? Yeah. Well, so prior to a COVID shutdown. <laughs> right. Of course, everything's prior to the shutdown. Right. Right. Cause right now our average attendance on, on Sunday in the building is zero. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we are, we are not doing so hot in the building. We're doing great online. Great uh, online. Great yeah. online. How do you count it? Nobody knows, but nope. we're doing great there. That's right. Yeah. Um, we were, we were averaging between six and 700 people on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So now if you've, um, uh, if you're listening and you're not familiar with the church world, those are astronomically fast numbers, right? They've got God's clearly doing something in the city and, yeah. and, and at city church in Fort Wayne. And, uh, and so one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you is that's, I mean, you, you went from nothing to, one of the larger churches probably in Fort Wayne. I mean, you're, you're probably up there now at, at six or 700. Um, what has this growth and success taught you about God that you didn't know before? Yeah. Um, man, so much. I, I think the, the first thing is um, like, we can't take credit for the growth. Um, and, and it's so clear in this situation, like I can't take credit for, for the growth of this church. It is just clearly the hand of God. But also um, it's taught me that we also can't um, take the responsibility for a, um, a season, a dry season or a lack of growth. Mm. Um we have a part to play in that. But at the end of the day, God moves his hand as he sees fit. And he is, he is always up to something, whether we're seeing the end results of it or not. Right. So, so somebody plants the seed, somebody else waters it. God causes it to grow. That that's the end end result is it's all up to him. And so um, I I think a few things uh, that I've learned from this one would be, um, you don't have to have all of your crap together in order to reach people. Um, I think one of the challenges of church world today is that it's so easy to access all of the other churches, especially big churches with big budgets and lots of resources and talent. 
And we tend to think like, oh, you've got to have that in order to reach people. When the reality is, man, um, all that technology, all the, all that talent, all, all that special hype and stuff. And I'm not against it. Um, that stuff wasn't around for most of Christian history. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's not part, you know, hazers are not part of the apostolic witness. Right. Um, it is the Holy spirit that draws people. It is the Holy spirit yeah. that moves people. And, um, and so we just need to be faithful. And do we need to be innovative and creative and willing to get outside the box and try new things? Absolutely, we do. Um, but one of the leaders that you and I both listen to a lot, and, and I've kind of adopted this language and we use it a ton in our church culture, um, comes from Kerry Newhoff. And he uses this phrase, passion over polish. Mm. Talks about that a lot. And for us, we have just decided that we are going to be passionate over polish. And now at this point, from the outside looking in, I'm sure somebody could look at some of the stuff we're doing and say, well, that looks, that looks pretty polished. Um, and it's, it's getting there. Like we're becoming more polished because we're growing and we're learning and you want to, you want to always pursue excellence in everything you do. Right. And so that, that will happen over time, but we didn't, we didn't start with that kind of polish and, um, and it's still not our priority. Like we just used whatever we had. And so, we brought people together. We used the gifts, the talents that we had, and then we, we just loved people and served people. And, and God has continued to um, honor that. And then it's, it's the principle of wise, wise stewardship, right? Like he gives you two talents and it, it's up to you. Like, what are you going to do with those two talents? And if you're going to be faithful with those, then he'll give you more. But if you're going to sit and wait and go, well, it's not until God gives me 10 talents and then I'll go do something awesome. Well, you're, you're never going to get the 10 talents. That'd be my yeah. So I, what I love about that is that I feel like you're speaking to the person right now who's thinking that maybe God's calling them to something like maybe God is, is pushing them outside of their comfort zone. And what I really hear you saying is just do it. Like don't over spiritualize it. Just act, just act. So, so let me ask you this, uh, pastor Chris, what, what's next? Um, what's the next thing that God's calling you to? And, and that may, that may or may not include the church. What's next for what's next for what your ministry has in store? Yeah, I think um, that's a good question. I think right now I would say we're still in the um, early stages of of this <laughs> <laughs> to 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 be able to like think beyond this is still pretty hard. Like um, we're we're planting deep roots here, you know, mm-hmm. like. Like this is, this is home for us. This is our community. Um, so I think what's next for us is just to go deeper, you know, continue to dig deeper and become more entrenched in the community. Um, you know, what's interesting is uh, I'll give you some insight into uh, a conversation that we didn't even get to have with our church yet. So that'll be, that'll be interesting how this podcast hits, but um, we were, we were getting ready to have our first of two vision nights they were going to be back-to-back Sundays. The first one was going to happen on the first Sunday that we had to shut down because of COVID. <laughs> so we did not get to have those vision nights. Uh, they have been on indefinite hold for us. Um, but part of that was to um, just cast vision for the future for City Church. And, you know, we are moving out of the, like, upstart church plant phase. I mean, we're still in a rented facility and 
we still have lots of things to work out. But like you said, we're also becoming an established church here. Like we have a presence now. We're we're making an impact. Like six to seven hundred people are calling this place home, and and the community around us is aware of us, and hopefully all good ways, you know, trying to right. really make an impact on our community. And so part of that is for our church, we we are um, at some point going to be opening up a uh, specific um, line item where people can give to what we're just calling right now the future location fund. Mm. Uh, but but we we want to we want to move toward a, a permanent location of some sort, um, or at least um, if it's not a permanent location, a space where we can expand. Um, we can grow to about a thousand people in two services at the current location. Um, and then we max out this space. I have no, no desire to do more than two services. Just, That'll just no desire whatsoever. Uh, I've done a lot of research on that and, um, there are lots of good arguments for it. I just don't like any of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, somebody asked me if I would ever do a Saturday service and I said, only if I want to get divorced. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, my, my wife made me promise before we started the church mm-hmm. that I would never do Saturday nights unless we like heard the audible voice of God telling us to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not in our, our future, but, um, but no, um, I think, think what's next for us is just to expand our impact to, to kind of move out of like, you know, the first few years of any church plant, you're, you're still just trying to like, keep, keep the plate spinning. Like you're trying to like, just, make this thing work. Yeah. And we're moving beyond that to like, okay, it's working. So now what are we doing and why are we doing it? And and how do we, how do we continue to just really have kingdom impact all over our community? That's awesome. Uh, Chris, I know that my uh, audience is going to want to follow up with you. Where can they find you and city church on the interwebs? Yeah. So our website is for the city.com. Wow, you guys got a good one. F-O-R-T-H-E-C-I-T-Y dot com. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're on Facebook. If you just look up City Church Fort Wayne, you'll find us. We're on Instagram, City Church FW, I think. Um, but if you look up City Church Fort Wayne, you'll find us on either one of those platforms. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as chris.s.freeman. Or um, I'm also on Facebook. Um, just look up Tony's friends and you'll search me and you'll find me. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, okay. The last question I love to ask people um, mm. is if you could go back um, to the day that you decided uh, that you were going to start doing vocational ministry, mm. right? And so you're, t- you're, you're going back and you're going to talk to young Chris. And now that you're, you're still young, but now that you're up more experienced young, uh, what's the one piece of advice that you would give young Chris starting out in vocational ministry? Um, yeah, man, that's, that's a good question. I think what I would say is you're playing a long game mm. and uh, I forget who originally said this statement too, but um, goes like this. Um, you can do a lot less than you think you can in a day, 
but you can do a lot more than you think you can in a year. And so just like, rather than trying to solve all the problems in the world and have this tremendous ministry impact, we, we just tend to, to want to rush that, especially early on when you're first stepping out in ministry, you're, you're so gung ho, you're so ready to just change the world. And it just doesn't work like that. It's consistency, it's faithfulness over time. And so don't, don't get discouraged when you don't have as much impact in the short term, but also expect big, big things in the long term. I love it. I love it. That's great. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time today. And I'm praying for you and your church and your family as you guys continue on in ministry. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. I really appreciate it, man. It's awesome to hang out with you and love what you're doing too. Just keep up the, the great work, man. I know that, uh, that it's obvious to tell that Chris is one of those leaders that you're going to want to follow for a long time. Be sure to connect with him on social media. Uh, tell him that you heard him on the podcast and how much you appreciate following him. He is an anointed preacher and an incredible leader. I'm very, very thankful for him. Also, don't forget, uh, give me a follow on Instagram at TWMilt this Thursday, September 10th. Uh, we're doing a big special giveaway. I want you to be a part of it. So uh, go ahead and connect with us on there. Uh, tag a friend. Tell everybody you know uh, about this special giveaway on September 10th to kind of celebrate um, just how thankful I am for you and for being a part of this community and what it means to be a member of the Reclamation community. We're just a bunch of people trying to figure out what's it mean to follow Jesus and reclaim some good practices for faith and life. So thank you. Uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that way you're not, you're not going to miss one. Uh, leave a rating, a review. Always helps people get the word out. And don't forget, you can always text the word reclaim to 66866. Get on our mailing list. I'm telling you guys, God's doing something pretty cool here. And it wouldn't happen without you. So I'm incredibly thankful for you.